Hey everyone and welcome back to another episode of East Got Game, an unofficial podcast showcasing the NBL1 East competition for 2023. 2023? Yeah, I said that right. My name is Jacinta Govind. I'm from the Central Coast Crusaders. Joining me as always is Lockie France from the Sutherland Sharks. How are you, Lockie? I'm excellent, Squints. Been a Big week at NBL1, that's for sure, and can't wait to go through it all. Yes, it certainly has been a big NBL1 East uh, weekend with pretty much everyone playing double headers, including games on Friday night, which, which doesn't usually happen our way in New South Wales. And it's been such a big weekend that we had to call on some extra help, and it's our pleasure to introduce Robbie Clayton, who you may know from the Throwback Hoops podcast that he hosts with his best friend Woody. Shout out to Woody biggest Sydney Kings fan going around. But Robbie Clayton is also a commentator for the Hills Hornets. Welcome, Robbie. Thanks, Gwyn. Pleasure to be here, guys. Um, yeah, Lockie's right as well. Certainly a lot of games, um, a lot of action to talk about. So, yeah, pleasure to be on you. Awesome. Good to have two uh, talking heads and experts with us today because, yeah, we've got we've got a little bit to get through. But what we're going to do, as always, is have our quick game recap, uh, you know, our results recap. We'll cover a couple of games, including the game of the week, which was, luckily enough, between Hills and Penrith. And then Robbie will probably get stuck into a little bit of a deeper dive about the Hills Hornets for this season before we roll on into our All-Star 5 for Round 6. So, Lockie, I'm going to throw it to you first. Give me a quick recap of the results for the women's competition for Round 6. All right, deep breath, which I think 13 games this week. Of course, no COE this weekend uh, with our under-18s nationals on. But uh, So we kicked it off with Inner West getting over the top of Hornsby for their first win of the season. Someone's O had to go, and it was Inner West getting their first win over Hornsby 71-41. And in our game of the week... We had Penrith getting over the top of Hills, 86-59, but uh, injury scare for the Panthers in that one. We'll get to that later. Manly getting over Norse in the Spitbridge Stoush. No Zoe Miller, no worries. Getting up 73-70 in a nail-biter. Although in the uh, local derby between Comets and Sutherland, it was Comets introducing Shyla Hill getting an 87-57 win over a shark side, still missing Lauren Nicholson and also missing Callie Hovater in that one. Moving to Saturday, it was North 93-36 over Penrith as that injured player remained out. Bankstown picking up win over Canberra, 71-61 as their new import Violet Morrow stole the show. Uh Squins, Squins team, the Central Coast Crusaders, getting the 76-61 win over Hills. And Illawarra with an 85-60 victory over Hornsby. And a bit of an upset in the Hunter Valley Derby. Maitland knocking off Newcastle, 70-61. So a bit of a boil over there. And uh, Sutherland not playing very friendly host to an Albury team that travelled up. 80-61 in that one as Kelly Hovada returned. Manly getting a 74-50 win over Inner West to uh, wrap up a perfect weekend for them. And then Albury, a second loss of the weekend as they fell to Bankstown, 65-62 in a nail-biter. And Vanessa Panousis lit it up in the last game of the week as Comets knocked off Central Coast, 84-67. So 
a massive week of games, 13 in all, and it leaves Comets standing alone atop the table at 6-0, and closely followed by Centre of Excellence, who had a week off, and Manly sitting at 5-1. and Yeah, interesting with that ladder um, standing as well because, like you said, Comets are 6-0 and at the top and they will play, play third place Manly for the first time in the next round. So um, pretty much looking forward to that. I think I said this was round six, but it's only round five, isn't it? It is because, yes, we are, have Easter off. Of course. In NBL. E- East, Easter off on Easter. Yes, and there were a couple of other conferences that ended up having uh, a couple of Thursday night, and I think I saw a Good Friday game in one of the conferences too. Yeah, it's uh, all going on uh, around the country at the moment. Yep, so Robbie, we're going to throw to you. Take us through the results for uh, the men's competition for round five. For sure, yeah. Also 13 games in the men's, so quite enjoyed the Friday night thing, actually. It almost felt like I was commentating and the weekend hadn't started, which was, was good for once. Um, so, yeah, we had four games on Friday night. Um, Inner West probably in a surprisingly close game, 75-67 to 67 over Hornsby. Um, the Hills Hornets got their first win of the season over winless Penrith, 107-67. to 67. Uh, Norths had a good win against Manly, 78-55. to 55. Um, Sutherland won an absolute thriller there, pretty much on the buzzer, 87 to 86 over the Sydney Comets. Um, big win for the North Bears over Penrith, 113 to 62. Um, an equally big win by Canberra in their one game of the weekend over Bankstown, 100 to 58. Um, Hills got up 75 72 against Squin Central Coast Crusaders. Um, it was Illawarra, 83, beating Hornsby, 75. Uh, Maitland uh, with a big win there over Newcastle, 82-69. Somewhat of a surprise given the form this year, but probably not so much when you know how good Maitland are. Um, then completing the Saturday night games, um, Sutherland with a, with a big 111-91 win over Albury. Um, Inner West with a big win over Manly, 102-69. Um, then we just had the two games on Sunday with Albury beating Bankstown, 95-81 and the Sydney Comets uh, beating Central Coast 96-72. to Yeah, very well, uh, very nicely done there, Robbie. Were there any surprises in some of those results from this round? I mean, look, especially me being a Hills guy, it was probably big that they got that win against Central Coast. They were probably favourites against Penrith, but I'd say Central Coast might have been favourites in that one. Um, maybe the closeness of that Friday night game with Inner West over Hornsby, just Inner West getting up by eight points, that was perhaps a little bit of a surprise there. And, yeah, like I said, with the way Newcastle had been playing this year, I, you know, probably if I was making tips, I might have tipped them to get up over Maitland, but Maitland just pretty much dominated that game, which we'll talk a little bit about later there. So, no, certainly a lot of um, interesting games. Some big wins, obviously, for Sutherland there over Aubrey and the Comets there. So they've certainly moved their way up the ladder there. But, um, yeah, certainly an interesting round, that's for sure. Yeah, I think uh, perhaps a, a weekend for the likes of Hornsby and Hills starting to turn a corner a little bit. Hornsby were also seen to challenge the Illawarra Hawks quite a lot as well over the weekend. The Hawks boasting, you know, lots of NBL previous and, and ex-NBL players and emerging, uh, but they were missing a couple of players as well, the Illawarra Hawks. Um, I think one was out to injury from what I've been told. And uh, I was wondering where Noah Pagotto was because he wasn't on the roster. Uh, and hold on, I've pulled, I found it on Twitter of his whereabouts. Doing a deep dive. 
Yeah, it, it just happened to come to me. I was really, really lucky where I was like, where is this kid? I'm going to look it up on Twitter. And here we are. He says he's playing at the Prep Hoops Circuit this weekend in Chicago. He'll be suiting up for Team Brook now. I don't know. I'm not too sure what that means, but I'm guessing that might be his coach's name as part of this uh, uh, Hoops Circuit group. Anyway, basically, he's not here. He's in Chicago. Having a great time. Decent excuse by the sounds. Yeah, I, I wouldn't mind. <laughs> yeah, so per- perhaps it's one of those. Um, I'll have to look a little bit more into what uh, this prep hoop circuit is, but I'm guessing it's a tour of America to try and showcase some Aussie talent to get college scholarships or something like that. So uh, best of luck to Noah if he's listening. Um, but he was obviously missed in in the weekend. But good good job uh, wrapping that up for us, Robbie. Um, so the couple of games that we wanted to focus on this week, first of all, was the uh, Sutherland Sharks and Aubrey Wodonga Bandits in the women's comp. So we haven't spoken a lot about the Bandits yet on Scott game. So I thought this would be a prime opportunity uh, to showcase them a little bit more, especially because you are there right uh, front row, Lockie. Well, not front row, You're kind of in the back row <laughs> commentating at Sutherland, aren't you? Yes, definitely. As far up the back as possible on our beautiful commentary desk. Shout out to Easy Boards Kingsgrove for that one. Uh, yeah, so grand final rematch, but uh, definitely not the same two lineups that are uh, played in that grand final. What a change. Uh, I think was it last year in the NBL 1 East Women's All-Star 5, there were two Sutherland players and three Albury players, and not one of those five was on the floor for the game on uh on Saturday with uh, Panousas now at Comets, Lauren Nicholson not suiting up, and Ayamada, Unique Thompson and Lauren Jackson not with the Bandits. But uh, I think uh, when you look at what Emma Mahardy and Ashley Hannon have been doing, it's been fairly seamless or as seamless as it could be transition. But uh, Sutherland, for a team that, seems intent on giving up offensive rebounds this season. In the they didn't do it for once. In the they, only get, they, only, they only gave up 12 O-boards, which I think went a very, very long way to getting getting the win because that has been their Achilles heel all season for both the men's and women's teams. Uh, Jeremy Jones, every week, because I'm there four hours before the game and he gets there about two and a half and he comes up to me and he says it's always we didn't offense we didn't get defensive rebounds last week well this week they did but it was really it was set up in the first quarter by Maddie Norris who just did what we all know Maddie Norris can do and just shot three after three after three I think she hit her first three in a row she had 20 points at half time which was on I think Five of seven from three and a perfect five of five at the stripe. Um, And three of those free throws came when she was fouled shooting a three. Uh, So the Sharks, they jumped out to a 23 to eight lead after a quarter and it was 44-24 at halftime. And it, the way the Sharks were playing, it looked as like they would go on with it, but... uh, I don't, I'm not sure if it was complacency or just, you know, overconfidence, maybe a combination of the two, but um, Maddie's shooting fell away a bit. I mean, her numbers in the first half were pretty unsustainable, but uh, she missed a few in a row. 
They started taking some shots that weren't quite there, and they really let Aubrey Wodonga back into it after uh, Aubrey let that lead get out. It got back to seven at one point by the end of the third quarter, and uh, that coincided with uh, Ash Hannon coming back. She had some early foul trouble, coincided with her coming back. She only ended up playing 23 minutes because of some of those fouls, but Hannon, uh, Brody Page Theodore did her thing, getting 14 and nine. And Elizabeth Murphy was good. Um, it could have been a whole lot worse at halftime if not for Elizabeth Murphy either side of the first quarter break. Uh, she racked up a few points uh, just to keep the game from getting out of hand earlier than it did. But in the end, uh, the start of the fourth quarter went back to normal service resuming for Sutherland. They racked up, I think, for, I think they went on a 10-2 run to start the fourth quarter, and at that point it was pretty much uh, two in the rack time. Uh, just too big a deficit for Aubrey Wodonga to come back from. But in the end, if you take out that first quarter, it was you know, a fairly back-and-forth game. You know, you marginally went out four more points at the end to what it was after 10 minutes of play. Yeah, because so, so as you mentioned, uh, Sutherland winning the first quarter 23-8. to eight. Uh, they also won the fourth quarter 20 to 8, but uh, Bandits came back in a big way in the third, winning that quarter 29 16. So, mm-hmm. what was it that the Bandits implemented in that third quarter to uh, score to score the 29 points? Well, as I said, they had Hannon um, you know, come back from a bit of foul trouble. Uh, and they just took advantage of, like, Sutherland would come up and just shoot a shot that wasn't there, like, just, you know, a transition three. And they just. It got really quick in parts, and uh, we know Brody Page Theodore loves that. Uh, she uh, had fourteen and nine in the end. Uh, yeah, it's just uh, when Hannon was off court, I would have liked to see Mahardy in the you know down low a bit more. But uh, yeah, Sutherland. Yeah, they just it was. More, yeah, I'd say Aubrey, I don't know if they rattled them, but Sutherland, they certainly took what Sutherland gave them. Sutherland let them have plenty. And I think once this, once Maddie Norris's shooting dried up a bit, Sutherland, you know, the, they were almost expecting that option to be there from Maddie. Um, and it wasn't. And Emily Garland, um, didn't get it all her own way like she has in some previous games with Hannon there and Mahadi in places. But, yeah, I just don't... Yeah, just Aubrey Wodonga, just, yeah, that, that first quarter just, um yeah, they just left themselves too much to do. But, yeah, Sutherland need to... Uh, they need to... Stick with the process, which is, I think, why they came out in the fourth quarter well again, because Jeremy Jones had a full two minutes to sit them down and say, what was that? What are we doing? Let's get back to what got us the big lead in the first place. And they came out a lot more more structured. Yeah, so it's making sure that they don't deviate from that game plan that's working for them, you know, obviously in the first half. Mm-hmm. Um, but just looking at some of the analysis as well for Aubrey Wodonga Bandits in that third quarter, they had 16 points in the paint of that 29 points and they shot 
the best percentage they shot all game, which was uh, 71%. So, yeah, massive quarter from them. But, yeah, sounds like, uh, as you said, Sutherland perhaps just deviating from the game plan in that third, Aubrey Wodonga able to exploit that and take some advantage and make a real game of it. But then the Sharks came back and just shut it down in that fourth quarter. Yeah. So, interesting for, like you said, grand final rematch uh, as the team as the team names on paper, but mm. certainly not the same rosters. So it'll be interesting to see how we go um, if they play each other again later in the season. They they do actually. They play each other the final weekend of the regular season. Oh, okay. So both teams have got quite a bit of time in between mm. now and then to make some adjustments. And again, we might see a, a whole nother, another roster depending on who's there on the day in terms of injuries, wedding, well, baby showers, who knows? Under-18s Nationals, Jade Crook wasn't there for Aubrey Wodonga because mm-hmm. she is playing for New South Wales Country. Um, as I said, Lauren Nicholson and just a couple of um, players. Like It would have been nice to um, have had Mia Bruce there maybe to throw in for a few minutes here and there to spell um, Liv White and Lauren Calver, but she was, uh, I think, playing Youth League because uh, they were out at Springwood for Youth League, so couldn't really pull double duty. Yep, can't be in two places at once, ever. Certainly can't. <laughs> but Robbie, you were tasked with having a look at the uh, one of the Hunter Valley grudge matches, which was Maitland hosting Newcastle over the weekend in the men's round. Tell me what you saw. Yeah, well, look, certainly two of the better teams in the NBL One East men's, I believe, these two. Um, Newcastle came into the game on a three-game winning streak and, and really were playing um, good basketball there. But, yeah, in the end, it was Maitland with the big 82-69 to 69 win there. So Maitland was sort of struggling a little bit early, but they've seemed to have come good again now. They've won a couple in a row. Um, look, they led it every quarter um, in this game there and it was a, a pretty even spread between sort of their big three and Cranston Lown, uh, Matthew Gray and, and big James Hunter there. So, yeah, I, as I said at the start, I was if I had to tip, I was maybe thinking Newcastle might have won this just with the form that they were in. But I think the big key for me there was just being able to shut down um, uh, big Miles Cherry there in that one. He'd been really dominating and he had a, a pretty poor game in that one um, and sort of was really below his averages there. Pretty much a non-factor, you'd say, there. And in fact, Newcastle just had the two guys in double figures there. So... Um, uh, Ryan Beastie had his normal Beastie sort of a game that he does there with 17 and 17. That's kind of become the norm with him there. But, um, yeah, apart from Anthony Gaines with 13 there, no one else really sort of managed to, to uh, give Maitland any problems there at all. So, yeah, I think it's um, obviously going to hold Maitland in pretty good stead there and get their confidence back to where it was there. Um, a few interesting stats there, and I don't know whether you guys noticed the free throw percentages in this game. Absolutely woeful. So Maitland were 11 of 22 for the game. Uh, Newcastle were 9 of 23. So I'm not great with maths, but I know 9 of 23 is definitely below 50%. So, And that included 1 of 7 from Cherry. So they were perhaps doing a little bit of a hack of Cherry in that game there. So, um, yeah, look, both teams are pretty similar on the ladder now. Maitland have moved to um, 3 and 3, and the Falcons have dropped to 3 and 2. So I can certainly see these teams being, you know, amongst them at the end of the season there. But obviously Maitland um, winning this one in pretty pretty good fashion there. So for the Mustangs there, I mentioned Cranston Leon having a great season, um, led the way with 20 points. Um, Matthew Gray is someone I've always been impressed with when I get to see him play. He had a, a big 16 and 9. Um, James Hunter with 15, 6 and 4 blocks there. So obviously that trio pretty much dominated the, the big three for Newcastle there. So, yeah, good game in all. And, um, yeah, Maitland are certainly getting back to that form that we expected. 
Yeah, I think they have some unfinished business from, you know, they had the championship in their hands last year against the Canberra Gunners in the MBL1 East final and it just slipped away, you know, in, in the fourth quarter. So I think they've certainly got some unfinished business on the league as a whole. Um, really interesting, oh, mate, the, the free throws, call it out for what it is because free throws is always going to be the bane of my existence. Crazy, Everyone probably it? knows that about me by now. But <laughs> the Falcons shot at 39%. I mean, that's, that's a great percentage if you're shooting from the three-point line, which they did. Because if you round up their three-point percentage, which is 38.46, you round that up. Ooh, I'm pretty, can you round that up? Yeah, I'm Close gonna, enough. I'm going to round it up to 39%. Yeah, they're shooting the same percentage from the arc as they are the free-throw line, which, uh, yeah, that's, like, not good. Um, also notice that uh, a bit of foul trouble for both of these teams. So Newcastle, Miles Cherry on four, Goodwin, Beastie, and uh, Matua all on three as well. Um, but, yeah, that looks like, oh, that's percent. Yeah, 22 times at the free throw line and 22 times for uh, the four and 23 times for Maitland and Newcastle respectively. So lots of fouls going on. The likes of Matt Gray also on four, Jay Cole for Maitland on three. Um, you know what's really interesting, though, about – Maitland, they're obviously having some season success, but they're still without Jack Edwards. I'm not too sure if you guys have noticed, Jack Edwards has still been absent. But uh, Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. word on the street, thankfully, to my friends uh, down at Central Coast Crusaders who were putting in the work over the Easter long weekend um, so that Jack's having a lot of success with touch football at the moment. Uh, it looks like he's in some Australian squads for touch footy. Very talented athlete, like you guys know. This guy's insanely quick. I remember the first time I saw him play in youth league, and I was like, "How can anyone actually physically guard this guy?" Um, so yeah, it doesn't surprise me that he's excelling in other sports other than basketball. So power to him. But yeah, no Jack Edwards and uh, the the Stangers live to ride another day. Well said. It's it's funny you mention um, free throws and thirty nine percent because. Aubrey Wodonga women actually shot 38% from free throw line. 8 of 21. And, yeah, they had they actually had a couple of the uh, Sutherland players in foul trouble. Kelly Hovater fouled out and Geordie Dewhurst had four um, thanks to the speed of, you know, Brody Page Theodore and Casey Ardern, players of that ilk. Um, but then Mahadi just, you know, being generally, you know, better than anyone. Uh, but yeah, so free throws, I feel like that's a league-wide issue though. Oh, yes. That and boxing out, I'm probably going to say this most episodes. I know that I probably touch on it a lot when I commentate, but look, until it changes, I'm going to make a point of it <laughs> because it needs to, it seriously needs to improve. Like good pick up there, Lockie, with the Aubrey Wodonga bandits, Lady Bandits free throws, eight from 21, as you said. Compare that to Sutherland's 11 from 13 at a healthy 85%. And then they lose by 19. So, you know, like things like that make a, a massive difference. Um, but rolling on in our, uh, right along now to the game of the week, which was Hills versus Penrith on the Friday night. Uh, so, Lockie, did you happen to catch the women's game between Hills and Penrith? I uh, saw a bit here and there. Um... It's, it's, I saw the game and I also saw Talia Tupaya limping off, uh, which I think Robbie had a better view of that than I did. 
being being at the stadium. But uh, yeah, Talia was yeah seventeen points in twenty three minutes. She was uh you know doing really good work. And Meg Jefferson, uh, well we saw her during the week at three x three, just having a way with people in the paint. And uh, from what I saw, the bits and pieces I saw, she uh looked to be doing much the same on Friday night as well finishing with 18 points in just 21 minutes of action. But she did pick up four fouls in the process. She's a beast down low, isn't she? I mean, she picked up two really quick fouls in that game and sort of sat out and then, you know, came back and picked up the third one pretty early in the second quarter there. But, yeah, she kind of found her way a little bit in the second half and sort of started to pick up those numbers. But, yeah, you're right, Lockie, that injury to um, Talia Tapai was was pretty sad to see, actually. You know, she was playing really well in the game and looked like a pretty innocuous kind of injury. She sort of went down. You could tell straight away she was in a lot of pain. Um, I sort of managed to go over at the end of the game and have a look, and she was still on the, you know, lying on the floor there with the you know, the Hills physio, um, Jaden Prakash, actually is a physio now and, and stopped playing for the Hills team there. He was sort of checking her out. And, yeah, all reports were that she'd torn her calf there. So, you know, obviously not sure how long, long that means she'll be out, but I'd say it could be quite a while. And that's a big loss to Penrith, actually. You know, they were sort of playing pretty good basketball, certainly looking a lot better than the men's team are. And, yeah, I think a lot falls on the on the hands of, um, you know, Meg Jefferson in that game. But I guess just some other, other notes that I had for that one there. Um, you know, look... We talked about game of the week there, Squin. Unfortunately, both of these um, Hills Penrith games were absolute blowouts there. So, um, twenty-seven point win for the Penrith women there. So, they led every quarter as well. Um, look, I thought um, they got some pretty good service from Chloe Williams. Um, she came on with fourteen, uh, two rebounds and five assists. And another player I was also really impressed with, didn't know a lot about her, was um, Dominica Faber. Um, she came off the bench and had 12 points in 15 minutes, including three big three-pointers. Um, mm. So she was one to sort of watch out for there, made a, made a big impact off the bench there. But, yeah, it was a bit of a long night for Hills, to be honest. Um, I was probably expecting a closer game than what it was. Um, Tara Marnie was the only player in double figures for the Hornets with 14 points, six rebounds, and hit four threes. So she certainly did her sort of role there. And their second best player was one that I know you're a fan of this swing because I heard you talk in the, the game against Hills, and that's veteran Wendy Strong there. So, yeah, she was really handy. Came in and had nine points and five rebounds in 12 minutes and played some really good physical defense down low and sort of made life a little bit tougher for, for Jefferson there. So some good signs from the veteran Wendy Strong. But, yeah, it was certainly Penrith's uh, night in that one. I know that Lockie's also a big fan of Wendy Strong because she's been a part of this league for... Well, I went on... When she came back, I went on the Waratah League website and the stats only go back to 2003 and she was averaging 14 points a game back then. So I imagine that wasn't her first season. Yeah, no, she's been... Like, I feel like, hopefully, I wonder if she'd ever be interested in coming on Escott game because I'd love to do a deep dive into her history of playing semi-professional basketball in New South Wales because as, as long as I've known, she's been playing. And so it was so great to see her back to play this year because she didn't play last year. But, yeah, she's like a serious rebounder. She's still super strong. Um, Very strong. Yeah, I yeah. think like you said, Robbie, she would have been a great contender to challenge Meg Jefferson underneath because, I mean, like you said, Lockie, Meg was just having a way with everything and that 3x3 Australian Uni uh, Championship we saw earlier in the week. Um, it's a, a case of like she's a classic five-man, uh, great centre, great touch under the basket, great footwork, very hard to guard in that respect. And her pick-and-roll play with Talia Tupaya um, rivals that 
well, I shouldn't say rival, but kind of reminds me of the great pick and roll we saw in the recent WNBL season between Sammy Whitcomb and Lauren Scherf. And I don't think that's an exaggeration considering both of their skills and both of uh, their execution with a great pick and roll. So it's a real shame that uh, Tupaya is out injured. So hopefully she, she'll be okay. But what you mentioned, Robbie, that uh, Meg was picking up a couple of fouls early. Was that a matter of unfortunate circumstance or being a little bit out of position? What did you see? Yeah, I think she got the first one, which was a pretty sort of normal foul. And then she picked up another second one when she wasn't very pleased with that one, you could tell. And they, I think they left her on for a few minutes and decided, no, this is like too early to sort of keep her on with two fouls. So she was off for quite a while. I mean, she ended up playing 21 minutes for the game there. But yeah, it probably would have been a little bit more ugly for the Hornets if she sort of you know managed to play a normal amount of minutes. I think, guys, we should also call out the free throws in this game too, because it was opposite than the last game I was talking mm-hmm. about. So um, Hills ended up 15 of 17 in this game. Ooh. Pretty impressive, and Penrith was seventeen of twenty-one. So, ah, credit, credit, credit to you there. Yeah, right? good. Yeah, and if we're talking about veterans with Wendy Strong, well, Francis Spadina was yep. on a uh, WNBL roster in the late nineties. I was impressed with that, Lockie, because I was looking at the team roster before the game. I'm like, I can't believe it. Penrith have got two people older than me. So, I mean, I'm not giving away too much, but I'm born in 1978 there. I'm like, wow, there's one. I think, yeah, Faber's born in 78, and the other veteran who I'm just blanking on the name, maybe uh, Posiglou, is it, um, was born, I think, around that uh, time as well. So, I could, maybe I've got that one wrong. But, yeah, certainly with. Brooke, Brooke McInnes is on their that roster. Might be that's, the one, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. But either way, yeah. it made me feel good, actually, to see, you know, two people born in the <laughs> 70s playing there. So, yeah. Yeah, Brooke McInnes also on a WNBL roster in her prime too. So, I mean, we're pretty lucky to have um, such a wide skill set and experience in our league this year, particularly in the women's competition. Now the likes of, you know, Olympian, former Olympian Leisha Poto's back on court. Um, Shyla Heal is back now playing for the Sydney Comets. Ness, Vanessa Panousis and Loz Nicholson stayed around. Um, yeah, we're pretty blessed. Pretty blessed, I think. Uh, and then you had... Your Hills Hornets host uh, Penrith again, like we said, game of the week for round five on the Friday night. Hills uh, men getting up by 40. Robbie, you were there. You would have been pretty excited to see this firsthand. Yeah, I've got to say I was excited. I've become you know, pretty close to some of the you know the boys on that team over the last couple of years, and you kind of feel their pain when they lose these games. So, you know, seeing them lose those first few home games and you know, not sort of really being in it. It was it was good to sort of see him get this win. So, yeah, 40-point win in the end there. So huge effort there um, from Hills, um, the men there. Um, so, yeah, 107 to 67. Um, they also won all four quarters. And, look, it was a big game for them. Obviously, both teams came in uh, winless there. So you certainly didn't want to fall to that 0-5 record. Um, the big one for me was um, former Sydney Kings development player Ben Kieran's. He was just massive in this game. So I think the first play of the game, he had a block shot, and then he went on just to, to dominate at both ends. So he ended up with 30 points, six rebounds, three assists and five steals. Um, and he did all that on 13 of 20 shooting. So I thought he really set the tone early. And um, obviously another one, probably a bit of an underrated player still, I think, is Paul Brotherson. Um, he was just on fire in that game. I know you saw a bit of that one, Squin. So 23 points. He was eight of 10 shooting. Um, I think maybe at halftime he was six of six from the field, including um, five of five three-pointers. Um Every three that he hit was from the same spot. He was kind of that trailer sort of, you know, three from the top of the key there. They eventually sort of, you know, caught up with it and sort of actually played a little bit of D on him near the end. But, um, yeah, and they also had some good service from um, Marvin Fidel off the bench there with 13 points and five rebounds. Um, 
Yeah, it was interesting because Liam Moss was pretty down in that game. Um, at one stage, I think at three-quarter time, he had zero points and four fouls. And we mentioned that on the on the call there. But he, you know, he found his way a little bit in the fourth and ended up with 10 points. And, of course, they didn't have import Sean Montague in that game as well. So it was interesting in that game. He warmed up and looked a little bit, um, you know, a little bit tentative with his ankle there. And then I asked one of the coaches and they said, look, his ankle's a bit crook. He's also had a little bit of a bug as well. And then at one point in the second quarter, we saw him take off his warm-up shirt. We're like, oh, here we go. But it's like he wanted to play, but they decided just to to rest him there. So that was probably a good luxury to have, you know, given they were playing the next day um, up at Central Coast there. So, um, look, in terms of the Penrith men's team, um, yeah, I think they're really going to be struggling this year. I mean, they've had some massive losses this year. I mean, uh, some big losses there. So, um, look, they feel like they're a hard-working team. Just seem to lack a little bit of skill and that perhaps that go-to player on offense there. So big difference in this game was three-point um, deficit there. So the Hornets were 15 of 30 for the game. Penrith were just two of 15. So if you add those difference, 13 made threes, that's 39 points, and they won by 40. So I thought that was pretty interesting. Um, one player that did stand out was the high-flying um, Kaylee Beaumont-Tafua there, who had a couple of um, really big dunks in that game. But, yeah, I think they are going to struggle a little bit, that Penrith men's team this year. But, yeah, happy for the for the Hills guys. And it was nice to see that smile on their face after the game, which they haven't had a lot of the last few weeks. And it obviously set them up to that big victory on Saturday night. It's it's funny just how it went down with Ben Kieran's is a former Penrith player and went to Hills because Penrith didn't have a team in NBL one basically you know that's that's the effect of even just having one season out of the top flight and we've seen it with clubs throughout the years you know we saw when Illawarra didn't have a women's team how long it's taken them to get back competitive um, just yeah. I mean, Comet's women are obviously in a great position, but it just shows how hard it can be to come back just Lockie, having that Lockie one Lockie Charlton's another one for the Hornets as well. He's a Penrith um, junior there, and he actually missed the game. He actually had a bit of a workplace injury last week and hurt his wrist, so he was gutted to be missing that game. He said, be, you know, of all games to be missing, it had to be this one there. So, um, And he's been pretty handy this year as well. So, no, you're right, Lockie. You know, you, these teams miss out, and, you know, you go to another another spot and a location, and you, you settle in there and you, you stay there. So, yeah. Well, it took Cabrera, what, three clubs to find his home at the Sharks, right? He's uh, We're, we're very, very happy to have Mr. Cabrera. And I don't mean that as a read. I just mean that as an observation. I know that he's played for other clubs before, <laughs> but uh, I'm glad that he's sticking with the Sharks because, yeah, he does look very comfortable and happy at the Sharks. But uh, really interesting, like great observation, Robbie, about Penrith's uh, three-point percentage and attempts, two from 15, as you mentioned. I also noticed that when they played against the Crusaders a couple weeks ago, uh, that their three-point percentage is not their strength. They definitely are a team that like to run and they run quick and sometimes a little bit chaotically. Um, but when you get caught up, when you're the other team getting caught up in their style of play, which I also noticed with the Hills women, when you're the, the other team getting caught up in their style of play, that's when you're going to you start to lose, whether you're the most skilled team or the, the team picked to win. You get caught up in that, it's game over for you. Um, but I think with, yeah, and, and good shout out to um, uh, Beaumont as well because, again, against Crusaders, he only had a few minutes towards the end of the game, uh, but he came on and lit it up and hit like three threes and took it to the rack and put Penrith, you know, a little bit back into the game. So be interested to see uh, if he gets some more minutes as the season continues. But to be fair, Penrith have always had quite a strong Youth League men's program. 
and understandably very young team, very raw, first time in NBL 1 and playing at this standard and going from the youth league competition for men and women jumping up to NBL 1, it's a big jump. Uh, It's not just a matter of you're the right age now, you'll be fine. It's still a big jump. It's like you have to start from the bottom again and, and work your way up into rotations and minutes and things like that. So I reckon, you know, if this core group sticks together, if they're a core group that have played Youth League men a lot, they'll stick together. They've got a great coach in Jared Moore. Um, I think give them a few years, I reckon they'll they'll certainly won't be bottom of the table. Um, Lockie, did you have anything to add for that men's game before we move on? Um, no, I think that's just about covered it. If we're going to start talking about hills, then I've got plenty of questions for Robbie or a couple anyway <laughs> excellent fire well, we away can, fire away lucky I think that's a great segue um well if we start if we're gonna take a look at Hills Hills women um obviously no Erica Pittman no Paris Reditas anymore um bit of a transitional period at the point guard spot for Hills this season yeah, definitely so. And I think the, the Ross has certainly got younger. There were sort of big losses there in Reditas and Pittman, two of the you know veterans on the team. Um, love the way Paris Reditas plays defense as well. She just, you know, create havoc up the top of Taramani um, last year. So, yeah, I think you're right. They've definitely loaded up with a lot. Uh, it's a lot younger team. Obviously, you've got Wendy Strong there, so that's kind of balanced out that average age there. But, you know, you're seeing some younger players, you know, coming in there. Um, you know, talking about the point guard there, um, Young Brittany Sewell's kind of shown something there. She comes in and doesn't look out of place there. She's got a nice-looking shot on her there. You know, a little bit sort of undersized there, um, you know, against some of these bigger, especially some of the bigger body um, Penrith women's players um, last week. But, yeah, I think it is a bit of a transition at point guard there and probably something they need to work on there. Um, look, I mentioned that younger talent there. I think there's some some young promising players there. We've seen um, young Ella Liasu Asu there, um, 17 years of age, and she's huge. Um yeah, I'm sort of, you know, I'm probably 6'4 on a good day and I always like to sort of, you know, when you see some of these taller players, you know, go up to them sort of thing. She's 17. She's definitely taller than me and she's um, she's probably got a bit of, bit to work on in her game there. But, yeah, some real good signs with her, um, you know, because I think they probably are lacking a little bit in the size department of the Hornets team. But, um, yeah, what else you got for me? I've got a few more notes, but happy to... Oh, that, that's, else well, you rode straight into um, Ella, which is the next player <laughs> I was going to ask about. Okay. So okay. I'd be glad that she's someone I've... Like been keeping an eye. I think anyone with uh, mm. even half an eye on New South Wales women's program has been keeping an eye on on Ella over the last couple of years. Got a very um very good temperament. You never sort of see her you know show any you know emotion or anything else like that. She just sort of goes out there, does a role, and then comes off there. But I think they probably need to get her a little bit more involved on the offensive end there. I think especially with these bigger players there, you know, you feed them a little bit on the offensive end, and then they're probably going to be a little bit more motivated down the defensive end or on the boards there. So perhaps that's something they need to do with her. But um yeah, certainly good to have you know a player of that sort of size and that talent at that age, I guess. Uh, the other one I was going to mention as well, guys, is the return of Taylor Cotties. Um, she sat out last season with her. I'm probably still in Lockie's notes again there, but sat out last season, you know, the birth of a child there. And she's re- been a really good addition coming back in there. You know, they've been bringing her in off the bench and really like the way she plays. She's just fearless driving to the basket. Um, good defender. You know, can hit the open three as well. So she has been a big addition. I honestly just think the MDL1 East Women's Comp has just improved more this year. So, you know, that's why I can possibly see Hills, you know, going down a little bit there. Um, You know, last year they finished eighth out of the 12 teams at the time with an eight and 12 record. Um, 
I know you're probably going to ask me for a prediction with them squeeing. And look, I, I feel bad even saying it sort of thing. But I think, you know, honestly, probably that 12th to 14th spot is probably a realistic position where they might sort of sit now. And and look, you can see it as well. Um, they're one of those few teams that doesn't have any WMDL players. They certainly don't have any imports. They don't you know, have the import like the Hills men's team have got. So they are up against it. Um, you know, I mentioned the first three games I've called this year. There's been Panousis and Nicole Munger and Tapia there. So they don't have that sort of next level player there that they can put on their back and sort of fire them home there. Um, and obviously a new coach this year as well. Rob Merrick's taken over. Um, you know, he's been a big part of the Youth League Men's Championship team there, um, replacing Darren Marshall. So I was a little bit sad that me and Darren Marshall go way back. I actually used to play with him in the in the 90s there. He was a great player back in the day. He was an amazing three-point shooter there. So I think they're probably just adjusting to, to Rob's style there and everything like that. Um, yeah, that's probably just a, a few little takes on the, the Hornets women there. I think hey. uh, I just wanted to ask a bit more about Taryn Marnie. So another player that Lockie and I got to see last week at the 3x3 Australian Uni Nationals that was in Sydney. And we made the comment, Lockie, about how well she can guard anyone from one to five. Um, but when I saw her play on the Central Coast on the weekend, um, I wonder if she's p- being played in the wrong position or if she's perhaps not... Uh, whether the offense isn't run in a way that's going to get her more touches or more scoring opportunities, considering she's probably the strongest scorer in the team. What do you think, Robbie? Yeah, it's probably a good course win. She's certainly been getting a three-pointers up these last few games there and has been pretty accurate in both those games on the weekend. But, look, I really like the way um, Taryn plays there. I dubbed her the steel queen last year. I mean, she just picks people's pockets all the time. You regularly see on a game she'll just steal it from someone and just you know have an uncontested you know, fast break by herself and score. But I think with the way they treat her on defense there, they pretty much put her on that best player on the other team playing that one to four position. She obviously wouldn't be on the on the five there, but she'll guard pretty much anyone. And those three players I've mentioned, you know, in you know, Panousis, Munger and, and Tapia, she was certainly the the first starting matchup on those three players there. So yeah, I think she's obviously got a lot bigger role this year. Um, you know, we mentioned with Roditas and, and um, Erica Pittman moving on. So she's kind of stepped up to, I'd say probably her and Yetzinger are probably the, the two important ones there. Um, and on Yetzinger as well, she started a little bit down um, so far this season. Had a, a decent, a better game anyway against Central Coast, but just her field goal percentage has been really low this year. I think she was in the 20s last time I sort of looked there. But So I'm expecting that she'll sort of improve on that a little bit and, I think she's an important player as well. Her and Cassie Petney there, you know, mentoring people like, you know, Liasu Asu and some of those younger players on the team. But, yeah, Taramani, I mean, two really good games last weekend and certainly expecting a lot more um, and expecting that to continue for the rest of the year. Yeah, and a quick note from me about um, Yetzenga and Petney. I feel like they're also other players uh, that need to have more offence run for them so they can get more touches and more scoring opportunities. Um, Petney especially because she can be really handy under the basket. But uh, even if you use Yetzenga as a bit more of a facilitator, like she was really good in the first half against the Crusaders and then just faded away in the second. But I feel like she probably didn't get as many touches, which I find really odd. You know, you go to the well until the well runs dry essentially. So you've got to stick to what's working. But Lockie, I'm sure you've got some comments to make about uh, the likes of Marnie, Yetzenga and Petney. Uh well, I think you're you're 100% right, Squin. Um, although, as Robbie said, uh, if Yetzenga's field goal percentage is down, that that does make it a little bit tougher. But um, you mentioned Pentney working under the basket. Uh, 
in a league like this, we touched on it before, this league is not massive height-wise. Even when we get import bigs, they're usually like they're not proper big bigs. So I really feel like that is that is definitely one area where Hills could probably find find some success is is going to work in that area. Um, you touched on Taylor Cotties. I mean, it's it's great to see her back. I was actually smiling because um, I actually played soccer with Taylor's brother, uh, so that that is my connection to Taylor Cotties. Um, and she doesn't look like she's missed much of a beat, to be entirely honest with you. You know, coming back from giving birth, she still looks like you know she takes off like a stabbed rat every opportunity she gets. Um, I think it's like like you said, they've the Hills roster's probably stood still slightly and others have gone forward, but I still think there's there's enough there as a core to um go forward in the future. And yeah, if they can get the right players, the right touches in the right spot, there's still reason to be optimistic. I think it's one of those teams as well. You could potentially just add one sort of go-to player, whether it's an import or whether they can recruit, recruit someone else. And obviously takes a lot of pressure off some of these girls we've mentioned and could move them up. I mean, look, the only game they've won this year is against Inner West, that first round when I believe Inner West were without um, Donkins and Leilani Mitchell as well. So they probably got lucky in that game there. And on a bit of a losing streak now. Um, look, I hope I'm wrong with that prediction, you know, with 12th or 14th there. But I think I'm just being realistic, you know, just with the way this um, NBL 1 East women's has improved this year. I mean, you look at some of the teams above them there. I mean, you know, Bankstown weren't, weren't in the comp last year. They've sort of started to play pretty good. Penrith, the new teams, you know, pretty decent. We'll see how they go without Tapia. Um and even in the West, obviously, you know, they've struggled so much last year, but they'll be a lot better this year as well. So, yeah, I hope I'm sort of wrong with that one, but I think it's going to be a little bit up against it for them this year. And you mentioned that one go-to player. Like, we've seen Bankstown, um, you know, from no import to one import to two imports. And look how they went this way, 2-0 and o against teams that uh, should be challenging for finals. Yeah, absolutely. That's why I like the East so much. It's still so unpredictable. Even when you're having a third place playing against 11th place, it doesn't mean it's going to be a blowout. It could be just as close as a third place playing fourth place. So, um, yeah, well, it's always going to be entertaining and exciting. Um, but speaking of imports, Robbie, now the Hills men have uh, Sean Montague as their import for this season. And you mentioned earlier he didn't suit up against Penrith. Um, which I found surprising, A, because of the the margin, and B, because he didn't suit up. He did suit up against the Crusaders, though, the next day, and it seems like that uh, resting him a little bit longer worked in their favour. Yeah, look, I think he's still settling in and adjusting to the league, to be honest, Quinn. Um, you know, he's playing professionally, I believe, in Poland last year. Um, every game I've called him this year, he's got into early foul trouble. So I think he's just adjusting a little bit to the way the you know the game's called over here. But there's no doubt some talent with him there. I, I heard you mention in the coverage there, he, he doesn't really look for that three-point shot. You're probably right. Um, he's sort of, he'll take him from the corner if he's open, but he's always just looking to drive or, you know, pass from the three-point line, then cut to the hoop and try and get the ball back. But... Look, it was a big coup for the Hornets to get an import there. Um, you know, everyone was really excited to have him in there. I've got to say as well, really nice guy, really sort of softly spoken guy. Sometimes not what you'd expect from, you know, the American import coming in. He's not sort of loud and brash and that. And he seems to have settled in really well. Um, every time I'm out there, you know, with my daughter who's sort of playing out there, he's doing, you know, coaching clinics and everything else like that. So he's settling in really well. But yeah, I think he just needs to adjust a little bit more to it. But I like the signs he's got there. Um, and yeah, this guy's a 
of just a walking bucket on the fast break if he gets that chance there. I mean, he's one of the more fun players to watch in the warm-ups, I've got to say. He's got unbelievable hops on him. Yeah, I was a bit worried that he was going to, like, jump too high. Uh, like, I may, I've made jokes already about uh, Markel Beasley from the Sutherland Sharks putting a hole in the roof with his hops, but then in comes Sean Montague, and I was like, okay, listen, mate, you're either going to put a hole in the roof or you're going to put a hole in the ground when you land. So let's just try and avoid some injury because we still want to get you to play. But his hops are outstanding. Well, my first look at him, Squin, um, um, the preseason yeah. against Penrith, I think someone took a three-pointer from the top of the key. He basically ran in from behind him and did this massive dunk tip in pretty much as soon as he'd come on the court and the whole stadium just erupted there. So, yeah, looking forward to more of that from him. Jeez, yeah, I'll certainly keep an eye on him. Hopefully his ankle injury isn't too bad. I wasn't too sure what injury he did have when I texted you on the uh, game day against uh, the Crusaders, but he did come off later in the game. Uh, with he, It looks like he tweaked an ankle. I don't know if it's the same ankle that he was recovering from, but um, he certainly looked like he was in a bit of pain. He didn't ice it, though, so I wasn't too sure if he wanted to go back on the court, uh, and I don't think he ended up going on again after he tweaked it. But, yeah, really interesting. He looked so uncomfortable from the three-point line. Like he was so hesitant. It's almost like he didn't want the ball in his hands. But he shot one from two. So just back yourself, mate. But you're, the Hills guys, like now that I've seen them in the flesh, I was really surprised that they haven't won more games. They have some seriously skilled uh, players on their roster. You've already mentioned the likes of Brotherson, uh, Kieran's, Liam Moss was really great for them. Um, who was the other one I quite liked? Fidel. Fidel was pretty mm-hmm. good as well. Great on D. Didn't He played half the game. He did little bits and pieces, um, but still in a way that he was like uh, didn't make too many mistakes. So I think that's always a good thing as well. Um, but, yeah, so what do you think is uh, has been missing for the, the other four rounds for Hills to, um, to not get a, another win under their belt? Look, I think they had a pretty tough um, start schedule-wise to the season, to be honest. You know, they had the, the Comets there. They had Newcastle come into town who were pr- playing really well. Um, had Inner West that first round, a game that was probably a little bit closer than what the final you know margin suggested there. So, yeah, look, I think probably just a little bit schedule-wise, I guess. So, you know, look at a little bit on the, the men's team there. So they were eighth last year um, out of the 12 teams with a 10 and 12 record. So they were near that 50% mark. Um, they finished the season strongly, winning three of their last five. So... Um, and look, they've come back with a, a pretty similar roster, obviously, with the addition of Sean Montague. They lost veteran David Heyman. Um, and Jaden Brakash, who is an important player, you mentioned the, you know, the three X3 before. He's obviously a, a great player in that sort of format there. Um, I believe he's taking a bit of a gap year just to work on his um, physiotherapy business that he's got there. So we may see him back next year. He's been out at all the games there, so I think he, he kind of can't stay away as well at the moment. So, um Look, they've added a few youth league players as well. Um, you know, Munro, Wilson and, and uh, Mitch Smith have all come in. That's good to sort of see some of those guys get you know, some minutes there. But no, I think you're right with that course win. You know, it's Moss, Brothers and Kieran's and Fidel all coming back there. Um, I mentioned him before as well. Marvin Fidel seems to be that really unheralded player for me. Um, just comes on, plays great defense, really sh- you know safe with the ball, very good shooter, probably doesn't you know shoot it as much as he potentially you know could. Um, and I'm not sure what your thoughts were on Big Campbell Green there, but I'm liking the, his development there. He's coming coming along looking pretty good. Um, a couple of weeks ago, he was really undersized against um, Miles Cherry there. I think Cherry probably had a good 30 kilos on him, so he sort of beat him up a little bit down low there. But, 
no, look, I can see him sort of moving up there. And a big shout out to Coach Reese Potter as well, who was coaching the Under 18s Championship. Really good coach there. And I believe you saw Richard Howard doing the job there. Um, sometimes we know him as Santa, other times we know him as Richard Howard. But um, he was um, making a few jokes with Reese, I think, after taking over and going two and zero in those those two games on the weekend. So. <laughs> Um, yeah, I think Montague's probably the big one. If they can get him, you know, 100% healthy and sort of define that role for him there, I definitely think they can start moving up there. Um, I probably predict they might finish between about 7th and ninth potentially this year. Um, certainly, I think they need to get above that 50% record and that would be a successful season, I guess. Yeah, I agree. Defining Montague's role a bit more because there were times where you kind of forgot he was there. Because the the core players and the likes of uh, Moss and Kieran's and Brotherson were already uh, doing so much and being the engine for both ends of the court, you kind of forgot. Oh, actually, they've still got Montague to add to this. But how do you add him? Where do you add him? When? Uh, so it's about finding that balance and making sure that everyone's skill set complement each other. I did like Green. I think Green's certainly got a lot of potential. So it'd be interesting to see how he develops as his career continues in the NBL One East. Um, but, yeah, I think uh, hopefully the likes of Patrick Tyrrell as well starts to get some more minutes. I know he's probably young. Another one, Lockie and I saw at the 3x3. Uh, uh, I don't think he played in that Central Coast game. He didn't, no. Certain. That was surprising, no. yeah. yeah. Yeah, I was surprised too, actually, because he's still got some size. Mm. He um, is a, yeah, he is a big human. Huge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we don't have a lot of big humans under the basket at the moment, so he, at least for the sake of size, just to be disruptive and just to be a rim protector would have been handy for a couple of minutes. But, Lockie, have you had much of a chance to scope out the Hills men's team? I haven't this season. Um, you know, we haven't played them yet here at Sutherland, and uh, it's been a very busy time for me. But as you said, it is a much uh, much the same roster as last year, and um, very very excited by, by Kieran's putting up the performance he had against um, Penrith uh, on the weekend, and you mentioned Marv Fidel. I'm, I, I know I've noticed that. Um, of course, just only chance I really get to see teams up close is when they come to Sutherland. But he, he does look like someone who's really um, just someone who is happy to do his job and just get get things done. You might and you might not always notice him, but he uh, he uh, he's gonna, he's going to give you something. I mean, he. he I mean, he played 25 minutes in the end um, against against Penrith, and probably uh, you know six turnovers. But yeah, you know, he still put up 13 and five. He's a great, um, he's a great guy as well. I'm sure you yeah. guys will probably have your favourites. You know, when you're commentating, you start to get those little favourites there. So he's certainly one of my favourites there. And look, you mentioned Kieran's before as well, Lockie. He um he came into the Hornets team probably about halfway through the season last year. I believe he was doing um training with the police force down in Goulburn there. So he never kind of really found his feet um, coming into that season last year. But he looks a completely different player this year. Um, he looks like he's really enjoying his basketball as well, which is good. But yeah, he's uh, he's very impressive. Got a, a very unorthodox game, I reckon, as well. Yes. Yeah. Funny sort of shape and size. So he's probably taller than you think. You know, he's kind of that nuggety sort of build there and a bit unorthodox, but yeah, you can, can certainly make things happen. Yes, yeah, that, I totally agree. Yeah. What were you going to say, Lockie? I was just saying that's an interesting note that he was actually busy with, you know, police force training because I was really up for him coming to Hills last season. You know, I was like, oh, great that Ben, you know, still found a spot in new NBL one with Penrith not having a team. And when he was playing, I was like, something up with him because obviously I didn't know the backstory at the time, but uh, you know, he sounds like he's now got a, you know, 
proper preseason under his belt and, you know, he can get on a roll. It could be, yeah, really good for him. Yeah, and I'm glad you used that word unorthodox, Robbie. That's exactly what I thought when I watched the game on the weekend. He, yeah, and he walks on his toes as well, I noticed. Like he's quite a toe walker, toe runner. He has got that stocky size, especially for a guard, but he's still super quick uh, in full court and off the first step. But he's really, really good for someone of his size, uh, making space with that fadeaway jump shot. Um, that's obviously what must have been one of his go-tos going up, and that's certainly like one of his best traits. But, yeah, really, really good that he's back. Um, and just quickly, Robbie, your comment made about uh, Santa going two and zero when Reese Potter is has been unavailable. You're not the only one that has made that observation this season or last. I don't know if there's <laughs> something in that. But, uh, yeah, no, I think Santa's done a, a really, really good job this week. They just, the boys just look really well organised and they look like they were buying into the game plan and very, very rarely deviated from that game plan when they played against the Crusaders. So um, might be something in that. Santa might be getting a more frequent call-up. Who knows? But uh, just as we're wrapping up, thank you both of, both of you for your sound observations. It was great to have a deep dive into Hills, who is probably a club that we haven't featured very much yet. Uh, on Scott game, you know, despite our infancy. This is only our sixth episode. But um, also, Robbie, also I like that you're the best guy to get uh, get in to uh, talk us about the Hills Hornets because you, uh, you're there every weekend. But um, here's the fun part. I'm going to throw to you both for our All-Star 5 for Round 5 of NBL 1 East 2023. Now, it was probably a a pretty decent round to judge All-Star Fives given how many teams um, were playing double headers and also with no COE. So, Lockie, give me your women's All-Star Five. All right, here we go. So, of course, with so many double headers, one performance, not enough to cut it. I don't care if you put up 60 one game. If you didn't bring it in both games, not making the All-Star Five. You're out. So... We did have a lot of players who put up, you know, one good game or one really good game and one decent game. So, like, Sarah Matthews had that big 27-16 and 16 against Hills. Maddie Norris dropping 30. Jada Crawshaw, 26 against Sutherland. A couple of near triple doubles. Ella Dent, 11, 12, and 9 against Hornsby. And Fliss Henderson, 10, 9, and 12 assists against Inner West. And uh, Taryn Marnie putting up a couple of... Uh, putting up 20 points in uh, both games, I think. Oh, no, sorry, 20 in one game, 14 in the other. And uh, Tyler Mundine, 25 and 11 against Illawarra. But we'll have all the top stat leaders up on the Instagram page. So no one misses out. But to the All-Star 5, kicking it off with a pair of Comets players. So Vanessa Panousis, first name on the team sheet, with her 21 points, four rebounds and seven assists in the win over Sutherland and 40 points Four rebounds, four assists, getting the win over Central Coast, 84-67. Just absolutely lighting it up. Someone got her. <laughs> I think people are, and she still can't be stopped. And she still can't be stopped. Oh. Um, ably supported by someone who also can't be stopped, Shyla Hill. 17 points, 12 rebounds, 7 assists in the win over Sutherland and followed it up with 24 points, 7 rebounds, 9 assists and 2 steals in the win over Central Coast as Comets maintain their spot atop the table. Emily Simons from North. So fortunately, North uh, knocked off by Manly in a close one, 73-70, but M put up 23 points, 7 rebounds, 2 assists and 2 steals. 
and then followed it up with another 23 points and seven rebounds, this time with one assist and five steals against Penrith in their big 57-point win. And we've been talking about some veterans. Well, here's another one. Michaela Domkins for Inner West. 16 points, 25 rebounds, and seven assists in the win over Hornsby. And 19 points, 13 rebounds, three assists in a loss in a 74-50 loss to Manly Warringah. And finally, Bankstown, Violet Morrow, Eastern Washington University, welcome to the league. 30 points, 12 rebounds, and four steals in the win over Canberra. And 21 points, nine rebounds, five assists, and three steals in a 65-62 win over Aubrey Wodonga. And one I should have also mentioned in the honorable mentions, Brittany Wright, the other Bankstown import, had 22 points and eight rebounds against Canberra. So very well-chosen imports for the Bruins this season. Yeah, whoever's doing their scouting and recruiting has done a really, really good job. Um, So props to them for that. Um, Yeah, what a great spread. Great shout-out to our friends Emily Simons and Michaela Domkins. Michaela Domkins uh, having to resort to the ice bath, understandably, after putting up such massive performances on the weekend. Uh, Leilani Mitchell putting that on her Instagram story. Um, So, look. Nothing, nothing, nothing uh, secret revealed there. If it's out for the public to see, but can can feel your pain from here, Michaela and uh, M. We just love everything that you do. So keep going after those buckets. Now, Robbie, I'm very interested to hear who you got for your All Star Five. First of all, welcome to your all, first All Star Five for East Scott game. So hopefully, you'll be back to give us some more. So what have you got for us for round five? Well, firstly, it was tough with those 13 games. I think Lockie's right. Um, I was trying to get more players that had played the double, but I did end up with two people. Actually, one guy on my five that only played the one game. So a few honourable mentions from me. Um, I mentioned Ryan Beastie. Um, had 17 and 17 in a loss um, against Maitland. Um, James Hunter in the same game with 15, four, uh, six and four blocks. Um, Alex Higgins-Titcher had two really big games there. He was in consideration. Um, Lewis Holly from Norths um, with double-doubles in both games, including a staggering 38 rebounds in the two wins there. So he was probably the most unlucky not to make the team. Um, Glenn Morrison, I know you've got the nickname for him, Squim. What's that one again? Oh, so that was – I think that nickname's actually coined by someone in Canberra, so I've stolen that from their commentary oh. team. But he's the Brindabella Beacon. Brindabella Beacon, that's right. Well, he had 25 and 14 versus Bankstown. Probably a bit more more of a standard game for him. And lastly, the Sharks pair there and Mark L. Beasley, obviously. Lockie would have seen a lot of those with 26 and 10 in that game winner against the Comets. And, and Lachlan Hutchinson with um, uh, 39 points uh, across the two big wins there. So they were the honourable mentions. But in terms of the All-Star 5, um, I had to put Junior Badud in there, right? Um 50 points versus Penrith there, so not much more I can say about him. He also backed it up. We had 24 in the, the first game against Manly as well. So, yeah, looking forward to, to call his game in a few weeks. That's going to be very exciting there. Had to put Ben Kieran's in in that other guard spot there. I thought he was just instrumental in those two Hornets victories there. Um, certainly the game I called there with the 36-3 and 5 steals. So um, certainly making his first appearance for the year. Um Got a little bit creative there. I put Will Davo Hickey at the three, which is probably not his position there, but I had to put him in there. There, he had 31, 8, 6, and 5 steals there, so I couldn't leave um, 
David Hickey out of the team. Um, the other forward spot, really impressed by Michael Golding from North. Um, so he triple-doubled versus Penrith with 11, 12, and 10. Um, he also got 13, 5, 4, and 4 steals against Manly. So really stuffing the stat sheet there. Um, and, yeah, uh, manning out the team, we had Christopher Bryant from Inner West there. So he averaged 23 and 9 for the round in those um, two wins for Inner West there. So, yeah, it was really difficult um, task doing that. So apologies if I've missed anyone there, but it was um, – Certainly a fun exercise anyway. Yeah, no, you've done beautifully, Robbie. That's a really, really great, uh, uh, I think, roundup for the round. And uh, shout out to Mike Golding, who's gotten the tr- first triple-double of NBL1 East 2023. I did have to fact-check that with Lockie late last night, so thank you for confirming. <laughs> I uh, didn't confirm. I said I don't think anyone's got one. <laughs> well, between, between the two of us having to, like, go through the stats most week to prep for the show, I think – we could be pretty confident. Like if someone's going to get a triple double, we'd remember. And also shout out to Chris Bryant from Inner West Bulls making his first appearance in All Star Five, and I think Junior Madut maybe. Yeah, yeah. I have to check. I've got it. I've got it written down somewhere. Um, <laughs> I, I did go off script a little bit. Uh, we missed the the news and gossip segment of our show, which we will probably finish with now, given the time frame. Did either of you have any injury updates, news, gossip, some tea to spill? Let me have it. I don't. I don't, to be honest, Quinn. So I'll have to leave all that for Rocky there and see what he's got for us. I, I don't have any tea to spill, but I do want to shout some people out. Sure. I want to shout out the all New South Wales Final four for the 3x3 Uni Nationals women competition. That's an excellent shout out. Are you able to remember the teams and the players? No, but I wrote them down. Woohoo! <laughs> so, so yes, 3x3 Big Hustle Uni Nationals were this weekend and the final four, all New South Wales teams and the vast majority of uh, NBL1 East players. So in fourth, we had UTS with Annabelle Bowden, Dayla Walker, Piper Anderson and Sari Mowbray. Bronze medal went to Macquarie University with Erica Pittman, Nicole Hutchins, Hill's own Taryn Marnie and Grace Beavers. Silver medal in a massive boil over after they knocked off Monash in the quarterfinals. University of Wollongong with Mia Bruce and Illawarra trio Ella Dent, Maddie Delaney and Mel Kirby. And the gold medal, they couldn't be stopped. The University of Sydney, Alexandra K. Ruse, Holly Wills, Carla Pittman, and Meg Jefferson. Whilst in the men's, UCID also got the win with Mikey Young, Matty Weicher, Mitch Smith, and Josh Payne. So plenty of NBL1 East representation, and those gold and silver medalists will be heading to New Zealand for Oceania Championships. Yeah, some really great talent. It's so good when we can see it uh, on the 3x3 stage because, um, you know, everyone's accountable on OND in 3x3. and um, But it also gives them an opportunity to show off their skill set a little bit. I was super impressed with Alex K. Roos and I was talking to Lauren Curtin, the assistant coach of the Comets, yesterday briefly and she made a comment about how much Alex has just worked on a game and improved so much in the last 18 months and... Uh, it's good to see her hard work is coming to fruition. But uh, in terms of news and gossip from me, uh, it's all a little bit doom and gloom. So maybe I'll just leave it. I think there's just some suspected injuries waiting to hear if uh, Talia Tupai is going to be okay. We noticed Zoe Miller was absent this round, so hopefully she's okay. Um, 
But we did mention that COE didn't have any games on account of under-18s nationals, but it also looks like some of the graduations have started to happen because Ben Henshaw from the men's program, who we spoke about not too long ago, lots of times in our East Scott Game episodes, has already signed to where, Robbie? Where is he signed? The mighty Perth Wildcats. I was very, very excited to read that today. Yeah, that's great. Great pickup. Huge pickup. And uh, it sounds like John really, from what I have seen and read and heard, is focusing on harnessing on that local talent. So sounds like you're very happy with that signing, Robbie. And for those who don't know, Robbie, uh, one half of Throwback Hoops podcast, big Perth Wildcats fan. And Atlanta Hawks, correct? Very correct, yep. I actually had other COE news. Alex Condon committed to Florida. Mm. Yes, yes. Very good pickup, Lockie. He did commit to Florida. That's very exciting for him. And you know what I find a little bit funny uh, with that story is that the AFL have gone on a limb and said, oh, oh, but, but. If he uh, if his NBA dreams don't come true, he said he's going to sign to Collingwood. And we're like, let's just settle down here, guys. The kid just committed to Florida. He ain't going anywhere. Keep yeah. your mitts off our basketball players. <laughs> but uh, that's it for another week of Scott Game. Lockie and Robbie, you have been absolute standouts today. Thank you for joining and putting in all of your hard work covering our content uh we'll be back i suppose after round six um i'm not going yeah round six plus illawarra and sutherland both play indonesia this week oh, so make sure you yes. catch those games as well they in the, sure just in the men's do. just in the men's that's right illawarra and sutherland both play the indonesian national team very very good pickup Lockie. that is going to be great uh is do you know if it's available on ko freebies i th- think it might be on the nbl1 website yeah, if, if all else fails, it'll be on the MBL one website. We can catch all of the games. Uh, but otherwise, lads, thank you very much again. And thank you to all of our listeners and followers on Instagram. Um, yeah, hopefully we'll see you again next week.